Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 120, Artemis Spacesuits. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. So, on October 15th, 2019, NASA unveiled the next generation of spacesuits that will take humans to the moon with NASA's Artemis program. I say spacesuits plural because there are two. One for getting to the moon and back, and one for exploring the surface of the moon. The Orion Crew Survival Suit does exactly what it sounds like. Helps the crew survive in Orion, the deep space capsule, that will transport the crew to and from the moon. But there are many layers to that, and a lot of interesting technologies added to the spacesuit that you might not have thought about. Then there's the XEMU that will be used on the moon's surface. For those familiar with human spaceflight or those who have listened to our spacesuits episode, episode 16, hint, hint, you might recognize the extravehicular mobility unit in there, the EMU. This is the suit used for spacewalks on the space station today. The X in front is for exploration. Sure, the name looks a little bit of the same, but there are a lot of differences that makes this suit the right one for the moon. So, here to go into great detail about each of these suits and what we have to look forward to is Chris Hansen. Chris is the manager of the Extravehicular Activity Office here at the Johnson Space Center. And he's here with us to go over the intricate details of the Orion Crew Survival Suit, the AUX, and the XEMU. Some of the development and testing, and some of the milestones to look forward to until we actually see these suits in action. Both for testing and for when they're done to take the first steps on the moon since 1972. So here we go. Artemis Generation Spacesuits with Chris Hansen. Enjoy. T minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light shirt to the red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Chris Hansen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Sure, thanks for having me. Uh, big event we had recently at headquarters. The administrator brought out, um, it was Chris Davis and Dustin Gomer. am I saying that yep, right? Yep, Dustin. Um, awesome event. They were right in the suits, they were moving around, it looked really cool. Then you had a Q&A with the administrator. Kate Rubens was there and everything. How was that? How was the whole event? Yeah, so it was really exciting. So it's the for me, it's the first time I've really spent any kind of um, close time with the administrator. So that was really exciting. He's a very interesting guy. He's like a, <laughs> a storm rolling into the room, and uh, he's very excited about what we do. He's very supportive of what we do. Um, for those of you that know, have ever have been lucky enough to meet Kate Rubens, she's also really, really cool. She's one of the, the nicest and smartest people I've ever met. So it was really fun to be able to do that event with those two particularly, talking yeah. about spacesuits. And it, and it was great because we're talking about the next generation of suits. I know a lot of us, you know, we the, the EMU, we've had a podcast about it before. This is the this is the spacesuit that's on the International Space Station right now. But thinking about that next generation, you know, it's just you're looking at it and it, and it feels real. It's like, wow, yeah. that's, that's going to be the suits we're going to be seeing and on, on the surface of the moon. It's pretty cool. So I wanted to yep. go into all the details yep. with you today. This will be great. You are the manager of the Extravehicular Activity Office, mostly over the XEMU, right? One of the ones we're going to be talking about today. Well, so not mostly. So actually, my responsibility is for EVA activities across the entire agency. So everything EVA, and that includes the current EVA work we do on Space Station with the EMU. So my office is responsible for all of that, uh, including the exploration work that we do with the XEMU and the XEVA systems that we'll be talking about today. Okay. Well, let's start with the EVA part of things. I think that's yep. where your, your yep. expertise is. We're, we're talking about the XEMU. This is the Exploration Extravehicular Mobility, Mobility Unit. Unit. Yeah, we it's love acronyms. Man. Yeah. yeah, we love it. Um, so XEMU, what is the what are the main differences if you had if you had a if you had to compare the EMU that we know today on the space station to yeah. the this XEMU? What are the main differences that you would highlight? Yeah, so let me start with a little bit of we've been doing EVAs for fifty years, all the okay. way back from Gemini through the Apollo program. You saw us hopping around on the moon. We learned so much from that, and then we we graduated into the space shuttle program. So the EMU that we use today was actually developed in the late seventies, early eighties, and hasn't been modified significantly significantly for uh, use on the International Space Station. So the suit you see today is fundamentally the same suit we used back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, so we've, we've learned a lot using that suit. And so today we've tried to take everything we've learned about the old suit and 
and upgraded it, improved it, tried to make it better for the XEMU. So in the XEMU, a lot of those lessons learned have been rolled in and incorporated. If we start with the part that you can see, so Chris, Chris was out walking around it, so you <laughs> gotta see one of the main features of what we call the, the pressure garment system. So the pressure garment system for a suit is the part that you can see. On the EMU, it's the white part, it's the arms, the legs, the body, the helmet, all of that is what we call the pressure garment. The other part of that system is the um, portable life support system, which is in the backpack. There's a lot of things in the backpack. It's a backpack, it's a very high-tech system. Um, there's a lot of differences between that and the current EMU, and I'll talk, but let me start about with the part you could see. So, yeah. so Chris was walking around on the stage, and that's one of the important differences. What we want when we go back to the moon this time and on to Mars is to actually do exploration. And to do that, we have to allow our astronauts to work like geologists. Fundamentally, a lot of the science we'll be doing early on on the moon is geology. And if you've ever hung around with a geologist, uh, they don't like taking paths. They like getting off paths. They like climbing over rocks. They like interacting with the environment around them to learn. And so we've got to have a suit that allows them to do that. The original Apollo suits, it was very difficult for the crew to bend their knees, to bend down, to lunge, to grab things. They practically had to fall over um, to pick up a rock and kind of do a push-up to get back to get back up. And so we want a suit that enables them to move. And so what you saw in the XEMU was a suit that's got lower torso mobility. You can actually bend your knees and bend your legs and bend down. You saw even in 1G, which is, you know, six times more gravity than we'll have on the surface of the moon, Chris, Chris was able to bend down, um, pick up a rock on the stage, hand it to the administrator. Um, in addition to that, so that's lower body mobility, we've learned with the current suit that upper body mobility is almost just as important. The crew needs to be able to move their arms, particularly our, our smaller crew members in this suit. It's got to be fitted to them in such a way that it allows them to move so that the joints line up with the joints of your body so that it acts really much more like your body. So the XEMU has some very important features in the shoulders that allow you to move. The bearings at the shoulder, we call them the side bearings, S-Y-E, the side bearings, are much closer into the body so it aligns much better with um, our smaller crew members and allows them to move much more naturally. Chris did some demonstrations, demonstrations where she could actually reach all the way across her body mm -hmm. um, to grab something. In the current EMU, our smaller crew members have a lot of difficulty doing that. It's very difficult to reach the controls up around their head, where the lights are, where the cameras are. It's much more difficult. So this suit has changed a lot of that in the pressure garment system. Yeah. In addition, what you didn't see, um, some problems we'll have to tackle is the environment's very different on the surface of the moon than it is in the space station. One of those is microgravity um, on the space station and one-sixth gravity on the surface of the moon. So we have to deal with that. In addition, there's a lot of dust. Um, we learned in Apollo, we took, we brought a lot of that dust back with us. That dust is very sharp. It's very um, corrosive. It gets into our equipment and gets into the materials and the bearings. And so this suit has to protect itself from all of those environments. Um, so that's from the pressure garment. The helmet was different. The helmet uh, is hemispherical and it, it allows the crew members inside that suit the ability to look down and see their feet, to look up and see the sky, look right and left. They have a much wider range of vision uh, in this suit. Um, from the pressure garment side. Now in the Go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, what I'm hearing now is is if, if I'm thinking about the the spacesuit we have on the space station, if you look at them actually doing spacewalks, they're not really using their feet too much. They're using mostly arms. They need that mobility, but what I'm hearing now is the XEMU is all about mobility. It's about mobility. It's about the flexibility of the legs. It's about the mobility of your arms. It's about that reach. You're getting all of those little extra things that are going to help you in exploring the surface of the moon. Exactly right. That's one of the major differences in terms of the pressure garment system. Mm -hmm. Now, the life support system is also very different. Now, the EMU was, is a beautiful machine. It has worked really well for us, but there's some features in that suit that we definitely want to change. One of those is we want to make it safer. We want it to have fewer failure modes. Um, a lot of you are familiar with the EVA 23 incident where we had water in the helmet. Mm -hmm. Some of that is because of the complexities of that design. The water and air loops are in kind of close contact, so we wanted to separate those loops so the loops are completely separate. Um, in addition, if you ever watch EVAs, one of the main limitations for how long we can go is how much CO2 absorption capability. The suit has to absorb CO2 as the crew members build um, work and build up that CO2 in the system. Every system we have today, lithium hydroxide, the Medox cans that we use today, all have a limited capacity. Once that system is full of carbon dioxide, you're finished. You have to come back inside. So it's a, it's a limit for how long you can stay outside. The new system we built is called a swing bed. 
Um, that system's been tested out on the space station. Orion uses the system, and it continuously scrubs CO2. So it has two absorption beds. One of those beds is active. It's actively absorbing CO2. When it gets full, we switch the system over to the other bed, and we let it absorb CO2. And while it's absorbing CO2, that first bed is exposed to vacuum. Mm -hmm. And so all that CO2 is burned off. Um, into the environment and it empties the the case as you were and then when it's full then we just switch back and f back and forth so we have a continuous ability to um, get rid of co2 out of the system so it is it will no longer be a consumable a limitation for us we can go for as long as we have battery power um, it will continue to uh, um, desorb co2 so that's a big difference from the system we use today that's huge these are i can't wait to go into the details yep. i did i did want to switch over uh -huh. to the other to the other suit because i really sure. wanted to do like a high level of like yeah, what is absolutely. what is this suit and it sounds yeah. like it's it's just this it's this if you wanted to go outside of a habitat or your your lander whatever yep. and explore the moon this thing is great because of these reasons yep. and that was that was perfectly it now this orion crew survival suit this was the other one that they rolled out it yep. looks a little bit different yep. um now what purpose does this one serve so there's something similar between both of them fundamentally they have the same job they have to keep a human alive in a very extreme environment but the environments they're designed to work in are significantly different the orion crew survival system we call it ox that's the acronym ocsf Mm -hmm. um, is designed to keep the astronauts safe inside the Orion vehicle. Uh, they wear it during launch and uh, launch and entry and re-entry, and it's designed to protect them for potential failures of that system. Um, if they have a depressurization, depressurization event, um, the, the suit can actually hold pressure and will keep them alive. That suit is generally hooked with an umbilical to the, the Orion's life support system. So it will feed them, it'll give them oxygen. They have portable oxygen tanks on them. If the suit, if the crew members need to leave the vehicle, say for instance, after they've landed in the water, they need to get out. If there's smoke in the air, if there's a contamination, that will allow them uh, time to get out of the vehicle. The suit will protect them from fire. The suit is also there. It's integrated very carefully with the seat um, to protect the crew members um, during landing. If there's, uh, if there's a crash, there's a high load event, the suit and the seat actually protect the astronauts physically, kind of like being in a race car or in the seatbelts. It holds them in. It keeps them safe, allows them to survive that and then to get out of the vehicle if they need to. Again, it's also got a lot of requirements. If you're a, the, the Orion's designed to leave low Earth orbit. It's designed to go to the moon. So if you're a long ways away from home and you have a vehicle that's now depressurized, this suit will keep them alive. So it's designed to keep them alive for days inside this suit, um, mm. enough for them to get um, back home and get back on the ground. So the suit has a lot of very complicated requirements. One of the big differences is it doesn't have its own portable life support system. It uses the Orion's life support systems to keep those crew members alive. So that's one of the things that differentiates it between the XEMU that we were just talking about. In addition, it lives in a less extreme thermal environment. When we go to the surface of the moon, it can be as hot as a 250 degrees, as cold as two, negative 250 degrees, depending on where we're at in the South Pole. It's got a wide range of thermal environments that it has to deal with. The Orion suit doesn't have to deal with those extremes in thermal. So, um, it's it's less complicated in that sense. Um, the color, you notice, the color is very different. The color is bright orange, and yeah. the reason it's bright orange is because the Orion is a water landing vehicle. So there's a possibility the crew may need to get out of that vehicle and be in the water. It's got a life preserver, but we also want to make it easier for uh, search and rescue rescue crews to find those um, find the astronauts. So the bright orange color makes that easier. So it's all really about crew safety and uh, uh, protecting the crew in all of these contingency events they might see in a spacecraft there you go so those are those are the primary uses and they were both rolled out they're they're awesome looking suits too yeah. um one of them is to be used on the moon that xemu and the other one is to be used in transit to and from to and from, to yeah. and from the moon keep keep the guys um and girls I mean, we're talking about the first woman absolutely. and the next man on the on the surface of the moon i've got to make sure you'd say that absolutely um but uh we're talking about these um critical components of, of the entire mission. Let's go into the weeds. This is yep, one of my favorite things to do. So um, the XEMU, the one that's gonna be on the, sur on the surface of the moon, let's start head to toe. If you're looking at the different features of this, you're looking at the logic of the design um, starting with the helmet, you know, why, did, why, I know if you're looking at, you know, Apollo 17, that famous uh, shot of uh, Dr. Schmidt on the surface of the moon with the, with the visors on the side, mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about, yep. and, the, and, yep. the, and the moon in the background. Now, this one looks a little bit different. What's the logic of the design of the helmet? 
Yeah, so for, let me start with the helmet. Again, we talked about the shape of the helmet. It gives right. them a much wider uh, range of vision. We also have those same sh sunshades. Oh, uh, the sun is very, very bright. <laughs> now, the plan is to go to uh, the South Pole and a crater. So we're going to have to deal also with being in a very dark location, which we didn't have to deal with generally during the Apollo program. We're going to be down potentially in a crater. So we have, uh, we'll have lights on board. We will this time. One of my goals is when we go back to the moon this time, I want the whole world to go with us. I want high-definition cameras. I want virtual reality systems. I want everybody on the planet to be able to be on the shoulder of that astronaut when we walk on the moon next time so that we take the whole world with us. So we will have much higher definition cameras with us. We'll have high-speed communication systems. So that is something that'll be very different. Um, the thermal protection garment, we talked about it. Um, you guys, there was a, a question. I know the, the suit that we brought out for the DC event had a kind of a cool red, white, and blue pattern. Yeah. That's mostly to help, uh, it's mostly gives the engineers, they can kind of have some fun with what it looks like from a design standpoint. Um, we haven't designed the thermal protection garment. Mm. Um, because of the thermal environment, it's very likely going to be white, oh, okay. um, which is a little less interesting. So it gives our <laughs> engineers a little bit of, of kind of fun to play with, um, sure. kind of a nice design. Um, but ultimately, the thermal protection garment will have to protect us from the thermal extremes. Um, there are potential micrometeoroid impacts on the surface from asteroids hitting the moon that we have to protect the crew members from. Um, the radiation environment is different, so we have to do a little bit of protection from the radiation. We talked about the life support system. The other thing that we want is we want to make sure we have as much time to do EVAs as we can. So we actually have much higher pressure oxygen tanks inside the system, which allows us to squeeze more oxygen into that life support system so we can do longer EVAs. Yeah. Ultimately, what would be nice is that the limitation of the system is the person in the suit and not the suit themselves. So I want a suit that will do whatever a human being can possibly do on the surface of the moon and let them go be scientists and not have to worry so much about the equipment. It'll do whatever they need it to do. Yeah, so as long as they want to be out, the suit will the suit will yeah, carry them for, for that, as long as that's needs. the goal for yeah. sure i saw i saw something about um you're talking about the oxygen tanks i saw yep. something about rechargeable technologies mm -hmm. where um you're, you're talking about being out there for longer lengths of time we already talked a little bit about the the carbon dioxide scrubbing which is huge and and that is you're right a limitation of how long mm -hmm. you can be out there now what about this charging technology so that's actually not new in a sense that oh. even the current emu um we do multiple you've seen lately we've been doing evas on the space station so we recharge those oxygen tanks on the current EMU. The advantage of this one is that the pressure tanks are much higher. I so see. they charge up to 3,000 pounds per square inch, which gives us a lot more capability. So they'll we'll be able to recharge the oxygen tanks between EVAs. And we do that today on the current EMU just at lower pressure. So we don't get a can't squeeze as much oxygen into the system. But we'll have to put more oxygen into the system. We'll have to recharge the batteries. Everybody's used to recharging their batteries on their toys when they play with them. We got to do with it. <laughs> we do the same thing on the suits. We have lithium ion batteries in the system. So we'll have to recharge those when we get back in and the system uses water for cooling um, so the cooling system so we'll have to recharge water um, when we bring those suits back inside in the lander when we're doing exploration on the moon that's very similar to what we do on the space station today we recharge the suits with water it uses a different cooling technology uh, the emu versus the xemu the emu uses a technology called sublimation we actually create ice out of that water as that ice hits vacuum it sublimates off gets very cold um, it cools the water that we run behind it and that water then cools the astronauts inside the suits the new suit uses a, a different technology called the suit water membrane evaporator so rather than freezing water we're actually evaporating water um, in a much more controlled way the the advantage of that system is it's much less sensitive to contamination in the water. We've hmm. tested that. That's actually a system that NASA designed. We developed that here at Johnson Space Center. We built it. We've been testing it. Um, the sublimation system is very sensitive to water quality. We've had some issues with contaminating on board the space station. This system is much less sensitive uh, to contamination. I see. So, you know, this goes back to a lot of those themes about, and this was even true when you were talking about some of the life support systems, you have that redundancies, those redundancies right now. This is the, you're talking about the safety of the crew at this point, yes. right? The safety of the yep. system, but yep. ultimately the safety of the crew. You know, a lot, of a lot of technology, a lot of the improvements you're talking about go into making sure this thing is going to be reliable when we pull it out. Yeah. The other thing that we've done, there's a couple other things we've done with this system. We've put in as many redundant systems as we can, whereas the current EMU has a single pump, a single fan, all driven off of a single motor. 
Um, if that system goes down, um, the EVA is finished. We have to bring the crew back inside. This system, we have redundant pumps. We have redundant fans. We have a redundant thermal control system. Um, so we're trying to put in as much reliability as we can, um, again, to allow the mission to keep going, but also to obviously to protect the safety of the crew when they're out there. So we're, um, the second thing that we've done, if you've seen uh, lately, um, we've had the crew do a lot of operations on this suit on the current emu on board the space station we've had them pull out fan pump separators which is a very kind of the very complicated heart of the emu's life support system and it's, it was never meant to be operated on in space it's mm -hmm. difficult for our technicians to do it on the ground it's even harder for the astronauts to do it in space we've had to teach them how to do it we've had to be able to operate on the space so this suit was designed with that in mind all of the components on this suit are, are designed to be easily taken out and removed one to allow the crew members to operate it so we don't have to bring those suits down to the ground necessarily to fix them but in addition technology changes quickly mm. and so we want to be able to take out components that are designed into the system and put in a new component a different design into that like a motherboard on a computer pc you plug in new designs as the latest and greatest chip comes out we want our components to be upgradable to change as we learn as we get smarter as this exploration program continues we want to be able to upgrade the system as we go without having to to design and develop a whole new suit and bring those suits back to the ground to change them out. Yeah, so. see, that's huge because we're talking about one of the one of the things is when this Artemis mission, it's it's um, the idea is sustainability. So we're going to stay. So naturally, that means years down the road, technology is going to change. You don't want to be stuck with old suits. Having that sort of flexibility is awesome. Exactly. Um, we, were, we started talking about some of the different systems. We talked about portable life support systems. I know this um, uh, carbon dioxide scrubbing is actually being tested on space station right now, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. So how's it performing? Yeah, so, this, so the, the swing bed that we have on board station today has been working great. We flew a smaller payload that tested that out a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we had the typical problems with new technology. took us a little while to get it working, but once we got it up and running, it worked fabulously. And so, you know, I can't say enough about the space station and the role that it's played in allowing us to test these technologies in the real environment. We've learned so much, especially in the life support arena. The life support systems on board space station are very complex, and they've really allowed us to learn and grow and then it's expanded into things like spacesuits because a lot of our life support systems on the spacesuits are very similar to the life support systems the vehicles need the space station and orion but in our case we have to make them smaller mm -hmm. but the technology is very similar um, and so th those systems have been tested on station for a while and they've been working great and, uh, yeah no they, re they really are yeah. um we talked about the the reliability of these you know like you said we've we've taken a lot from stuff that we know works on the space station and we've learned so much going going down uh i think you know controlling the life support systems i know i know one of the things on the on the extravehicular mobility unit on station is they have this they have these control dials right at their at the front of their chest mm -hmm. um that help them to you know, we were, you talked about the cooling uh help them to cool off or, or heat up depending on where they are in the sun those look a little bit different on the xemu right yeah so what you're describing is what we call the display and control module mm -hmm. it's the control box on the front of the suit now that is how the crew interacts with the suit. There are switches on it and there are valves in there. There's a, a temperature control valve that uh, affects how much cooling water is going um, to their cooling system to adjust the comfort levels of the crews inside. There are switches to turn on the pumps and fans and power and those things. Um, so we still need the crew to be able to interact with the suit. Um, however, one of the problems with that display and control module on the current EMU is how big it is. Mm. And it limited how small we could make the hard upper torso that that thing's attached to, that the crew, it's sort of the chest part of the, the spacesuit. It limited how small we could make that, which then limited um, how easily smaller crew members could use them. You know, we've had discussions lately about our um, our female astronauts and struggling in even our small suit. Um, this will help us tremendously because we've made that system significantly smaller. It's allowed us to move the bearings inside farther. Mm. Um, in addition, we started with, um, when we designed the XEMU, we started on the small side because the small one is the hardest one to integrate all these controls to. So we've, um, we knew that it's easy to scale up, it's a lot harder to scale down. So we started with the small one. That display and control unit 
we'll give the crew messages um, about the suit status. Um, it gives them switches to turn the systems on and off. And, um, and we're still evaluating today what kind of information we want the crew members to have. Um, we have this great project that we do with the university students called Suits. We're asking them to help us design the information system. Hmm. Um, we all love Iron Man. Uh, we're a big fan <laughs> of Iron Man. Um, a lot of the a lot of things about Iron Man are fantasy, but one of the things that's not really fantasy is the way that in the movie he gets information from the suit. Yeah, like that heads, heads up, up display. display. Yeah. The reality is when you look at that, that would be overwhelming probably for the average person. And so we're trying to study what kind of information do our astronauts want while they're doing an EVA. How do we want the suit to to interact with them? Do we want them to be able to talk to the suit? Do we want the suit to talk back? <laughs> Do we want um, gauges, dials, those kinds of things? So that's a lot of what we're studying now that will get integrated into the suit as we move forward. Oh man, Iron Man on the moon, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the suit itself, uh, we talked about, I know one of the points during the presentation was about the pressure of the suit. Now I think the spacesuits on station are four point three. PSI? Yep. Do I have that right? Yep. Yep. This one is variable, right? Yep, exactly. So what does that mean? So one of the so you have to understand a little bit how the spacesuits work. If we ran the spacesuits at um, atmospheric pressure, 14.7 PSI, you'd never be able to move in them. The pressure, it's like being in a giant balloon that would be so stiff you'd never get any work done. So we have to lower the pressure in the suits enough to make the suits usable. Problem is, if you lower the pressure of the suit down to four PSI and you just have regular breathing air in it, you would be unconscious very quickly. Um, it would be very dangerous. You're, you're, the human body can't live in that condition. You can, however, live at that pressure if you're breathing pure oxygen. And so we fill those suits with pure oxygen. The downside with that is something called decompression sickness or mm. the bends. If you're in a pure oxygen environment, you naturally have nitrogen in your blood. If you drop the pressure that low, just like scuba divers coming up too fast, the pressure's lowering too quickly, those nitrogen, the nitrogen that's in your blood can come out of solution and make little bubbles that get inside your systems and cause you a lot of problems. So the suit itself runs at low pressure, but we have to run at um, pure oxygen at 4.2 PSI. Because of that, the crew members in the suit actually have to pre-breathe. So for several hours before the EVAs happen, we put them on, on oxygen masks. They breathe pure oxygen to, to purge all of that nitrogen out of their body. It takes hours to do that. And ultimately, we would like to not have to spend hours with the crew on um, pure oxygen before we go out and, and do spacewalks. Mm -hmm. One of the ways around that is by raising the pressure. If you can raise the pressure of the suit to something higher like eight PSI, then the amount of time you need to spend pre-breathing on pure oxygen goes down dramatically. The problem is running a suit at eight PSI is a little more complicated. It's stiffer, again, mm -hmm. it's also, um, you, in order to change the pressure, you need something called an oxygen regulator. And there just really aren't oxygen regulators that are designed to change pressure until, our, until this project came on. So we worked with a company called Cobham and actually developed a very high-tech oxygen regulator that can actually change pressures. Hmm. And so that's one of the features of the suit is we can actually start the astronauts at a much higher pressure, get them out the door to go start exploring, and then that regulator can actually lower pressure as they go. So that as the EVA goes on, the pressure gets lower, it gets a little easier to use the suits, but we didn't have to take all that time up front pre-breathing. So that technology allows us to be much more flexible as we do, uh, as we plan EVAs. That is great. You get yeah. out the door faster, but you can still have that extra mobility that you need to eventually bend over and pick up a rock. Exactly. Perfect. Is the pre-breathing, so it's, it sounds like it's going to be shorter, but will the process of that be essentially the same? You're going to have to pre-breathe, you're going to have to don your suit, it's going to, there's because there is even now with spacewalks on the space station, it does take a while to get yep. to get ready. Yep. So that will look the same on the lunar lander. Uh, fundamentally, but some of it's going to depend on how that lander gets designed. As mm -hmm. you know, the agency has asked the commercial industry to propose lander designs, and those landers um, have lots of flexibility in terms of how they meet that. You could theoretically run those landers with pure oxygen, like we did back in the Apollo program. You could have the crew members breathe pure oxygen the way we do today. Again, because that time is less uh, with the way the suit works, it gives you a lot more flexibility as to how you deal with that. But the lander companies that are developing the landers um, can kind of choose and figure out how to s can solve that problem in whatever way makes most sense for their architecture. Mm. We try to give them as much flexibility um, by lowering the amount of time we need to pre-breathe. But then we'll see what we'll, we're interested. We'll see what designs they come up with that they bring to NASA. Yeah, and then make it work. But you're, yeah. that you have this flexibility. This yep. is awesome. Yep. I know. I remember one pr part of the presentation too was something 
uh, to look at was the differences with working and operating on the surface of the moon. One of them was walking on the surface and possibly the thermal concerns on, on the boots. That yep. was something you had to be considered because I don't know if there's differences of temperature there. Yeah, obviously what we're walking on, those the surface temperatures can vary in that wide range. Mm -hmm. So it's just something you have to deal with. There are materials available that can handle those kinds of temperatures. Um, but like with every part of the suit, we just have to look at what is the environment that we're going to be in, how well do we understand it, and then designing systems that can deal with it. I don't, I don't think from a material standpoint, the boots will be that tricky. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll figure, we'll figure that out. One of the things we want, though, is we want them actually walking rather than hopping. So the suits are, the shoes are probably going to have to be designed. The boots will have to be designed to be a little more rugged mm -hmm. um, than what we had during Apollo because we want them, again, to be geologists. We want them to walk around. And yeah. Are there similar things for the gloves as well? Because now you're dealing with you're dealing with rocks that may or may not be sharp. Yeah, so we'll have to talk about that. One of the things is on the International Space Station, you mentioned it before, your legs aren't that helpful. Mm -hmm. And so almost all of the work you're doing is with your hands. And so we've designed what we call the Phase 6 gloves that we use for the EMU. Um, we've designed those to allow us to do very long, very hand-intensive EVAs on the International Space Station. Um, there's some things we can improve on them that we're looking at, but they're pretty good. And mm -hmm. so, on the surface of the moon, uh, on the surface of the moon, I don't think the the effort for the geology that we're going to doing is going to challenge the gloves more than space station does in terms of the physical efforts. Oh, okay. Now, obviously, we're going to have to um, deal with rocks and abrasion and some things we don't. So the, the outer layer is likely going to have to be toughened up. Mm. So we're looking at that. But fundamentally, particularly for these early missions, we will likely use the same phase six gloves yeah, okay. um, with maybe a different um, thermal overlayer for thermal and abrasion resistance. But fundamentally, the gloves are pretty good. There are some areas we definitely can improve, particularly on folks with smaller hands. The gloves are a little bulkier than we'd like them. So we've already started um, looking at ways to improve the flexibility of those gloves. Um, that's one of those long-term things for us. We think the gloves will probably work fine for the early missions. And then as we get smarter, um, we'll evolve those gloves um, to make them a little more useful on the moon. As we kind of learn this, the things we'll be doing on the surface of the moon, we'll get smarter as we go. Again, this is a sustainable campaign. We want to go there and learn. And as we learn, we'll upgrade these systems to make them better. Perfect. You, we talked a little bit about the materials of the spacesuit. You already went through. I, I think there was one that was thermal, right? So you have to you have to design the suit to withstand these huge swings in temperatures. What about the logic of some of the other layers of the suit? Like, I mean, you, are, you're dealing with pressure. You're dealing with um, extreme environments. Maybe a little bit of toughness to deal with the lunar uh, dust. What are the logic of some of the layers of the suit? Yeah. So we think so. A lot of it is thermal control. Okay. Um, inside the, the there's many layers in EMU. Um, the ins the the most inner layer is the bladder and it actually has to hold pressure. Mm. Now our suits today, the EMUs also have to hold pressure. So we've learned a lot about how to do that. So we don't expect huge changes in that technology. Thermally, we're also in very extreme thermal environments outside the International Space Station. You know, we orbit the Earth and we come in and out of the sun essentially every 45 minutes. So it gets very hot and very cold. So the suit was designed to deal with that. So the, the suit that you see on the moon will have a lot of very similar materials um, in terms of that. Again, you talked about abrasion. So we'll have to deal with the dust and the rocks a little bit. We'll have to toughen up a few things. But we beat on our suits pretty good on the space station. So we've had to kind of already do that. We've made our gloves tougher over the years. Mm -hmm. The space station has lots Lots of micrometeoroid hits that are sharp that the crews have to deal with with gloves. So we've toughened the gloves up quite a bit. Um, from a material standpoint, I don't see anything major that'll be different in the new suits, probably. Okay. Now, throughout suit history, there's been lessons learned and yeah. different designs. You know, if you if you look up an astronaut, the first thing you see is basically a spacesuit. Yeah. So you you see these differences in the way that the spacesuit is designed, and we've learned a lot. I have a couple notes here just from from le lessons learned of what you should and should not do when designing a spacesuit. One thing was no zippers or cables. What, what yeah. did we learn from that? Yeah, one? some of that came from a lot of the Apollo program. Okay, um, the crews the the. Apollo suits had zippers that yeah. were formed a lot of the pressure, and they were a lot of trouble. The the dust particularly got into the regolith, got into the zippers, and made it very difficult. We had a lot of cable failures, a lot of mechanism failures with dirt and really sharp, fine dust getting into them. So a lot of, for, at least for the lunar part, we took a lot of lessons from that. Now, that's obviously a problem we don't have to deal with on board Space Station, but we remember a lot of the issues we had back in Apollo. So we've taken some of those design features that have caused us issues, and we've tried 
tried to design them out. We've had failures of the EMU onboard space station. We talked about the EVA 23 mm-hmm. event, and we've taken lessons from those failures, um, and we've tried to incorporate features in the new suit that will help prevent those things. I see. Now, um, in some of those new suits, you already talked about dust. Dust is a huge one. I know mm-hmm. one of the things that really jump out at you when you're looking at this suit are you already talked about them a little bit like are the bearings you know the shoulders are are in a little bit more it looks like you're almost like hunched forward a little bit but it gives you that reach and those bearings give you the yes the mobility you talked about chris whenever she was doing this demonstration reaching all the way across and touching her other shoulder um but there was there's also dust protection and as part of those bearings as well right that's that's part of the design yeah so there's a couple layers so one of the things um the suit we needed to be as light as possible one for the person that's in moving around that has to carry the mass around Mm -hmm. but two the launch the vehicles the landers themselves um, have limitations in terms of how much mass they can get down and back up off the surface so because those bearings are um, metal um, they're heavy they're a heavy part of the suit they uh, they give us a lot of functionality but there's a price to be paid for that and that's in mass Mm -hmm. Um, so we've looked at um, making those bearings out of titanium it's not um, it's a little tricky from a bearing standpoint to make those work but we've worked with titanium bearings a lot over the years so we've kind of learned the secrets to how to make bearings out of it so the bearings are titanium there's also a lot of technology. If you look at uh, the military, they, they build a lot of moving machines in a lot of environments with dirt and dust and sand. And so they've learned a lot about how to protect bearings with shields and other things to protect the, the rolling elements that are inside those bearings. So these suits will incorporate a lot of that. Um, we'll probably have a cover layer over the top of it that helps keep the dust from even getting to the bearings. Um, so those are things that we've got to look at for sure. And we've, we've started a lot of that work, but there's definitely still some work to be done. Mm. Um, and if the suits that we send to the moon in 24 aren't perfect with that, we think that's okay. Um, we'd like to not have to build a new spacesuit every time we go to the moon. We'd like to make them reusable. But if the first ones um, aren't as perfect as, as we can make them, that's okay for these first couple missions. We'll get smarter and we'll upgrade them as we go with better bearing technology and other areas that we see we have that we're having trouble with yeah now in terms of the logic of the design you've already alluded to this a little bit when we were talking about the control panel up front but you mentioned there was a hard upper torso and i believe the the legs are are a soft material it was there a reason for choosing those elements yeah that's the current design the hard upper torso there's some other design um, concepts out there that have a less hard upper torso Um, some of the challenges with that are we have to interface a lot of equipment with it the life support system has to interface with it Mm -hmm. the bearings um, the bearings are hard they have to be interface with it and interfacing those to a hard upper torso is easier in some senses than a soft upper torso. We're still looking at all those concepts, um, but in the end, that uh, that hard upper torso um, gives us a little more flexibility in how we attach things to it. Now we're going to make we're going to make that hard upper torso. We're looking at lots of different materials. Um, the current EMU hard upper torsos are made out of fiberglass. We're looking at composites, um, carbon composite materials, and some other more exotic things to try to make those things as light as we can. The one that you saw was made out of aluminum mm. um, because it's easy to machine and it's easy for us to do conceptual studies with that. So as as we look and evaluate those new materials we have an aluminum one that lets us um, do other evaluations and show people how it moves and those kinds of things nice yeah see as you describe all of this it gives me more and more of an appreciation from head to toe just how much thought had to go into all of this Um, one, one of the things actually you mentioned I think right up front when you were talking about designing again the control panel was you started small and then you went big we're talking about different suit sizes. So what are right. the, how, how does that work? What, how is everything sized? Yeah, so one of the things with the current EMU, there were limitations um, as to, um, the initial program had um, lots of desires for a lot of different sizes, but financial constraints made them kind of um, limit the number of sizes they built. They kind of skewed it towards the upper end and it, make, it makes it difficult for our smaller astronauts, mm-hmm. which generally are the, the female astronauts generally have um, uh, less broad shoulders Hmm. Um, and so it makes it a little more complicated to use the suits they have to fight the suits a little more than than someone that's got longer arms and broader shoulders we'd like to fix that we would like to enable all of our astronauts to be able to use this suit Um, so one of the things the suit does is by pulling the shoulders in we've um, we've there's, the bearings are actually reversible so that we can get significant variation in shoulder width with a single hut design. There's harnessing and other features inside that allow um, a broad range of individuals to fit in a single size suit. 
And then ultimately what we'd like to do is fit a much wider population, you know, from fifth to 95th percentile. That, that subject gets complicated because no human is any one of those things. Different parts of your body are different sizes. And so oh, fitting yeah. actual people is much more complicated than just picking a fifth percentile person or a 95th percentile person. So we've done years of studying of what people actually look like and how their bodies are built. This suit is designed to accommodate a very wide range of individuals um, with just two hard upper torso sizes because of the adjustability that we've built into the system. Wow. Um, as opposed to today on orbit, we have three sizes of hard upper torsos and really could use more on the smaller end than we've got today. But we think we can, can accommodate a much larger range of people with just two hard upper torsos sizes. That is awesome. Yeah. What a detailed explanation of the XEMU. That was awesome. Uh, if you're ready to go on an aux, we could do that. Sure. Unless you want to. Nope. Okay, let's nope. go right into it. One of the um, highlighting, I guess, phrases that I pulled from the presentation was that the Orion Crew Survival Suit is tailored to the individual and to the vehicle. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, so one of the things you want to do is. Uh, one of the differences when we do an EVA, we've got a lot of work to do, but the crews don't spend more than about eight hours inside that suit. For the launch and entry suit, they potentially have to spend a lot of time in it. There are failure modes that they're looking at that will make a crew member potentially have to use that suit for up to six days. Wow. So in a suit like that, it needs to fit really well. Um, in addition, the, the pressure garment itself doesn't have to, you don't have to accomplish as much as you would outside uh, walking around on the surface of the moon. So you don't need a lot of the bearings and things that we've put into our system. So it's the pressure garment part of it is simpler in a sense. So it's easier to custom build those suits um, per crew member. In addition, those suits have to be integrated the way the protection system works for Orion is those suits are integrated very closely with the seats themselves. So those seats and the suits together create a system that make um, landing much safer in an Orion vehicle. We don't have to deal with that in the exploration suit. It's not something we're wearing during launch and entry and those kind of dy dynamic events. So we don't have to protect the crew in the same way. This suit has to protect the crew members. And so it makes sense to make those suits uh, much more custom fitting um, and really interact with the vehicle in a way that makes it much safer for all of the occupants. So what does that mean to integrate? Does that mean you have like a mold on the seat that's custom fit to the person? What is the integration? Yeah, part? some of it has to do with just the sizes of the seat and the different oh, okay. panels. There's clips on the bottom of the feet that actually you clip your feet into the seats themselves to help restrain your feet. And there's other features. There's harnessing in there that um, works with the seat to make sure that the seat belts um, fit you properly um, like that. Okay. So, I mean, for the most part, uh, when we're on these missions going to and from the moon, the expectation is that it's a nominal situation. You put on the suit, you do your thing, and you go to the moon, you come back. Um, but but the crew, the, the suit is designed to protect you in the event of some contingency where you have to you have to survive you have to protect yourself Correct. so what is a what does it look like in a nominal situation what are you what are you putting on what are the layers what's happening through through the through the phases of flight yeah so they'll put on the suit so the suit has a liquid cooling garment underneath very similar to the emu although it just covers the chest area um, we run cooling water from the vehicle so the the vehicle has a heat exchanger that will run cool water through the suit so the the crew members will be comfortable um, you'll put on um, an undergarment and then you'll put this the suit on just um, really on the ground before you get in the vehicle you put this on you'll put in gloves you'll put on a helmet um, so it's less complicated than getting into the XEMU there's less uh, interfaces to it so it's really like putting on a, a flight suit in a sense um, hmm. that typical pilots use in airplanes so. okay now um, I think you know, it'll be used to protect the uh, astronauts in, in, in some sort of event that were to occur. Now, in transit to the moon, you don't necessarily need it the whole time, right? That's going to be a couple days long. No, and in fact, they'll take that suit off. Yeah. Uh, the suit is designed for really launch, and then when they get to a stable um, position in orbit, they'll take the suit off, and they'll be in a shirt sleeve environment for most of the time. It's there, and there's requirements that the vehicle has to protect that crew for uh, up to an hour um, if there's a depress event coming. So the crew has time to get into those suits and safe themselves before it catastrophic event happens okay now now the the reason that we have this suit right catastrophic event something something yep. were to happen yep. um let's say it's a it's a decompression event mm -hmm. what would the crew be doing to 
get ready to, to start getting into survival mode and put the suit on and, and start, you know, would they plug into, you said they go use the life support systems of Orion. So yep. would they plug in that way? Yep, they would put on the suit okay. and they would plug in, there'll be umbilicals attached to those suits and they'll plug into the vehicle. Okay. And, and fundamentally, because you don't have much time to do it, the first crew member has to be able to get into that suit within 30 minutes. So um, you don't have a lot of time. You'll put the suit on, you'll plug in, you'll do leak checks and you'll make sure everything's working fine and then you'll be set. Okay. So, so it's designed to be flexible and uh, get you to that safe state as quickly as you can. In the vehicle, right? Would you be in your seats um, in this situation? No, not in that situation. You'll be floating around. The, you wouldn't get into the seats. Really, you'd be in the seats really just for landing, for reentry and landing. There's oh, no reason I see. to be in those seats unless you were reentering. So you'd be able to move about the cabin just in the suit. Just in the Plugged suit. Plugged in. Oh, yep. Okay. Now you have yep. to live in the suit, right? Yep. You said, worst case scenario, you got to live in the suit for six days. Yep. Now what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to it, live in the suit? So think about it. So you got to, what are the things that keep you alive? Number one is you got to be able to breathe. Yeah. So you've got to be hooked up to the oxygen system of the vehicle. So the vehicle has to be able to provide oxygen to those crew members. Now, if you're in a depressed vehicle, your suit is now at, and your suit is um, acting like a spacesuit in a sense that you have zero pressure on the outside. The suit is designed to operate between four and eight psi of pure oxygen. So we have to feed pure oxygen to that crew member. Mm -hmm. Now the vehicle does all all of the functions we talked about on the exe. Uh, the XEMU, the Orion vehicle has to do that for the crew. It's got to scrub CO2 out of that system. It's got to provide oxygen. Mm. It's got to provide cooling water to them. So it's got to keep them alive. So that's the first thing. Second need is food. So you've got to be able to, um, food and water. So you've got to be able to drink and eat. So you got to do that. And then you have to get rid of bodily waste. And so the system is designed to, to make that possible over six days. That's a very complicated part of the suit. You've got to be able to get rid of urine and fecal matter and all those things. So lots of work went into designing a suit that you could actually survive in for up to six days in that condition. It's an incredibly challenging yeah. task for those guys. <laughs> yeah. um, we, we talked about decompression. We mentioned we mentioned smoke, fire. Basically, mm -hmm. this would, in, in any of these, you, you have to think through. We've actually had a podcast about it. Um, okay. Jason Hutt came on okay. and talked about a lot of these different things. Um, and it was about, you know, if this were to go wrong, what would you do? That the suit is designed in any phase of flight to do that. Let's skip ahead to landing, because I know mm -hmm. there's parts of the suit that even after landing would help you um, survive in the ocean for a little bit. Yeah, so they've got an integrated um, life, uh, inflatable life uh, saving device that um, will inflate when they hit the water. That'll keep them afloat, keep their head above water. Um, you've got a lot of typical, we've got lots of experience with search and rescue in the ocean environment. So we've got lights and we've, there's a satellite beacon that's being designed that'll stay above the water that will talk to a satellite system so we can find the crew members, lights, glow sticks, those kinds of things that you would see in a typical marine environment. The suit's a dry suit it's got a neck dam so that the, it'll keep the crew from getting wet hmm. um, which will help keep them uh, warmer um, now we're not landing in the north atlantic ocean so that helps so they're likely to be in a little bit warmer water but it can be down in the 50 degree range so you wouldn't want to spend a lot of time in it wet so the suit's designed to deal with that environment and protect them until we can get to them and rescue them. there you go that's why it's called the orion crew survival suit go. it's yeah. the, they're going to help, help them survive yep. what fascinating pieces of technology let's go into the development and testing yeah. because okay. um we've talked about all the different <clears throat> features of the suit uh tell me about the history is but let, let's start with the xemu because that's what that's what you've been um uh, looking after for the most part the how you've developed this suit to be what it is and test it where you've tested it those sorts of things yeah so that's so the it's an interesting history with the spacesuit um, we've had like we've talked about we've had the emu since the early 80s and so we've known that the agency needed a new spacesuit the emu wasn't going to work we've only got 11 of them in existence the technology is um, very old um, we spent a lot of time as technology gets older trying to figure out how to keep it working um, obsolescent obsolescence becomes an issue for lots of the materials and the electronics and those kinds of things. So we've known for quite a while that we needed a new spacesuit. Um, however, there hasn't been a destination hmm. by the agency for a while. When, when the Constellation program was stood up, there was a suit program, a contract was let for that. So there's a company that was out, Ocean, a company called Oceaneering, was off developing a spacesuit for Constellation. So they got, quite a, they got quite a ways down the line to the point where we call a preliminary design review before the Constellation program was canceled. But we knew that no matter where we were going, whether it was the moon or Mars or cislunar space or a Lagrange point or anywhere we were going, all the way to Mars, down to the surface of Mars, we were going to need a new suit. So a lot of really smart spacesuit engineers got together with industry, with inside NASA, outside NASA, to talk about, well, okay, given that we could go any of these places, what technologies should we put in a new spacesuit? And we came up with a list that everybody agreed on, and we started working on all of those technologies. 
And so uh, as we got through all the different phases of building test units and we'd test them and they'd break and we'd make it a little better and we'd kind of work through that, that's been going on for almost a decade. And then two years ago, we made a decision to build a suit to go test on the International Space Station. One of the things with Space Station officially, its end of life is 2024. Mm. It is the best place to test spacesuits in the entire universe right now. And so we wanted to make sure our new spacesuit, all this new technology got tested in space. Um, before the space station retired. So two years ago, we made a plan to, to build a flight unit to go test it on the International Space Station. So we've been working on that suit for two years. It was perfect timing. When the agency, when the country decided, when the president gave us the challenge to go back to the moon in 2024, we were two years into our project already for a suit that was designed to work on space station, but it was also designed to work on the surface of the moon. We already thought ahead that, that this suit needed likely to be able to do that. And so this suit already had most of what it needed in its design. So a lot of what we do, so then we got together and we talked about requirements. That's always where you start. And that's really asking the question, are we building the suit that we need? So we talk about what does this suit need, this suit need to do? So we define all those requirements and we make sure that we're all in agreement with that and then we go start building. The current suit today is at what we call a preliminary design review state. That's a state where we kind of say, okay, we've looked at the requirements. We have a design we think that meets all of those requirements, and this is what that design looks like. We haven't built it all yet. We haven't tested it all, but this is the design that we think will work. We have lots of experts get in the room, and we talk about that design and see, um, do we agree that we've met that this suit's going to work? So we've completed that for this suit. We just completed it a couple months ago. So now the team has to take all that input and then go start actually designing the final one. Hmm. That will lead into what we call a critical design review where, where we say, okay, we've got a design. We're about ready to go build one. Do we have the right design? And then once we have that right design, then we'll go start building what we call a qualification unit. And we'll go, then we'll test that suit at all of the boundary conditions, the extreme cases that we want the suit to work at, that we hope never to put an actual suit through with a crew member in it. But we check and make sure the design works. That's called a critical design review. We're about a year, probably about a year out for the XEMU from that. Um, and then we'll start qualification testing and then we'll build the flight units. We'll test those and we'll send them to the moon. So for the XEMU, that's where we're at. We just finished our preliminary design phase. Now the team's off working really hard um, to put those designs together. Well, awesome. I mean, so the, the suit we saw was essentially what it will be, but just maybe through these extra v reviews, you would find little things here and there that you want to fix before you actually put a person in it on the moon. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot yeah. of work when going from a conceptual design uh, or a design that works in a lab to an actual working physical flight unit that's been tested and qualified to work in these extreme environments very reliably. There's a lot of work getting between those two points, and that's what our teams are offering to do. Now, the Orion suit's a little farther along. They're actually at, they've already completed their critical design review, so mm -hmm. they have a design that's already set, and they're getting ready to build their flight unit, so they're quite a bit ahead of us. Um, but the Orion, the Orion vehicle should fly sooner than we're going to uh, need our suit. So, All right. So they are ahead of us. Now, um, in terms of the, the XEMU, um, I remember Kate Rubens on the same panel that you were at talking mm -hmm. about. She put it on and went into the Nutribuoyancy Laboratory, this big pool we have here at the Johnson Space Center, yep. and she was praising it, talking about how awesome it was. Yeah. Um, and, and so well, that was one of the tests you did to actually check out, hey, how does how's this thing, is this thing as maneuverable as we think we designed it to be? Yeah, what's great is being here at JSC where we have the astronauts. We have a whole group of astronauts who have done actual EVAs. They've done training in the pool, the neutral buoyancy lab. They've done actual EVAs in space with an EMU. They've got a ton of experience. Having access to those astronauts is a huge advantage to us. So then we take an astronaut like Kate, who's, actually, who's done EVAs. She's done two EVAs in space mm -hmm. and put her in this new suit and we ask her okay what's different between this suit and the emu and she can give us really good valuable feedback on the differences and uh, we built a pressure garment um put Kate in it did. We've done over 20 runs in the neutral buoyancy lab with the suit um, and the reviews have been fabulous by her. She said the mobility, now again we're not testing the life support system in the pool but sure. we're testing the pressure garment and the mobility and those features and uh, got we're getting rave reviews from all the astronauts that are, the astronauts and our engineers and ops um, team that get in the suits and they've done a lot of work in both um, lots of good feedback telling us that the suit design, we're, we're heading in the right direction that it works really well. Perfect. A lot more ground testing you did and I think is there elements 
elements of the suit that's being tested on space station right now? Yeah, for sure. One of the most important um, technologies in the suit, we talked about it, the suit water membrane evap evaporator. It's a brand new technology that we've never flown in space. And so it was one of the, I'll say the highest risk areas in terms of new technology. So we made a decision a couple years ago that we wanted to take that technology and use the space station to test it. So we took that entire thermal system part of the suit and we put it in a box and we um, designed it to go into a payload rack on board the International Space Station. That box um, in the payload rack on Space Station will simulate exactly the environment that our spacesuit will be in for this thermal control system. So we're going to actually run the cooling system. We have water that we'll put into it. That water will put heat in it just like an astronaut would. We'll subject it to vacuum just like the suit will see on board Space Station. And it will allow us to get a good probably year of testing on board the Space Station um, of our thermal control system, which is, again, the probably the lowest technology um, readiness level of any part of the suit. So we wanted to get on station. So that payload is actually being going through its final qualification now, should be ready to fly in a couple of months. And so we'll launch it to space station early next year. And so we'll be testing parts of the spacesuit um, within the next six months on board space station. Wonderful. Yeah, let's, let's take the timeline now to um, 2024. We're <laughs> looking to have a person on the moon. What are we looking to do? Are we, are we talking like a full up test on the International Space Station with the, with the whole suit doing a space lock? Or like what, what are we looking forward to? So there's a couple phases. We have um, the first thing that we're building, uh, we used to call them engineering development units. We call this the development test unit. We're actually building to the best of our knowledge today what the suit design looks like. We're building a DVT unit a spacesuit that has all the technology and features in it we want. That suit will be assembled and ready early next calendar year. So really within the next six to eight months, we'll have that suit ready to go. Now that suit gives us a chance to, to test all of these features. We can run tests with it. We can put it in a vacuum chamber to make sure that as we, when we set the final design at CDR that we have all this data with an actual spacesuit. So we're gonna do that testing over the next year. Then we're gonna build, then we'll start building the qualification unit. Um, we're going to build two of them at this point is the plan that allow us to do testing in parallel so we can, um, the 2024 schedule is pretty aggressive <laughs> for us. And we had a head start, which helped, but it's still pretty aggressive. So by building two units, it allows us to do testing in parallel a little bit. Um, we're going to build those qualification units. Those qualification units will require us to take actual human beings and put them in actual vacuum chambers with the suit and test the life support system. So um, there'll be very complex, um, potentially hazardous tests with humans involved um, in the test to make sure the suit's working. Um, we want to we want to put that suit through as rigorous a test as we can on the ground before we send astronauts up and ask them to use it. Sure. So the qualification testing will happen. Once we get through the qualification testing program, we'll have a flight suit. And with the flight suits, we'll build a flight suit. We don't want to we don't want to test those suits to these extreme boundary conditions. We want to, we do that with the qualification unit and then the flight suits we want to take care of on the ground. So we put them through a limited set of tests to make sure that they work. We will test those. We'll put um, a crew member in those suits in a vacuum chamber on the ground to test them and make sure they're working. Then the plan is this, we're gonna take a single flight suit and we're gonna launch it to the International Space Station. And we're gonna do an EVA with a regular EMU and an XEMU side by side. We are already in the process of modifying the space station systems to allow it to service um, an XEMU. Um, we need higher pressure oxygen, we need access to a vacuum line, so we're modifying the station right now. Um, those designs are happening, so we'll do that EVA. The idea is to check out that suit on space station before we get to the surface of the moon. Mm. How the schedule works out, um, we'd like to get that test done on space on space station before we get to the moon. But depending on the timing of that, we may or may not um, that may or may not happen. Um, at the same time, we're building that suit. We'll build two more suits um, that will then go to the lander companies or however we launch those suits to get them. Likely, they'll get launched to Gateway separately. They'll be at Gateway waiting for the lander to come. When the lander shows up at Gateway, we'll transfer those suits over to the lander, and then those are the suits that will go down to the surface of the moon for the first mission. Okay. Yeah, that is aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, All you have a lot, of work, a lot of work ahead of yeah. you. I'm sure the team is uh, really trucking along. It's a great team, I'm yeah. assuming. 2024 seems like a long ways away until you start thinking about all these tests and how long they take to run, and then <laughs> it seems a lot closer. We have a countdown clock we actually use of when we have to deliver the suits. Uh, now, what about the OX? I'm going to have to get used to calling it's it that, but the, but the Orion Crew Survival one. Is that one being yeah. tested on Artemis 2 when we fly people? 
Um, I think that's their plan. Yeah, okay. they'll use the suit again. They're pat. They're through their critical design review already, so they'll have those suits ready for whenever we put um, crew members on the Orion vehicle. They'll have these suits. You have to have a launch and entry suit for safety reasons. Right. And this suit was designed to be there, ready for them whenever Orion was ready to fly. So they'll have that. They'll have, they've already uh, they've already undergone vacuum testing with the suits and their systems. So they've done a lot of what they call human in the loop testing with those suits. Again, so they're a bit ahead of us um, in terms of that. But yeah, they'll have those suits whenever crew. Uh, um, fly on Orion, they'll be wearing those suits. Perfect. There's a lot to look forward to. I did want to end with this one yeah. thing, and this was actually, I think, asked um, uh, during your presentation. Yeah. You know, we're talking about, especially for the XEMU, the suit being designed, we have all these steps to go for the moon, and there's there's a lot of challenges for the moon. Yeah. But what about Mars? Um, we, You know, this has always been a, a distant goal of ours, but what, what can we learn from the moon, or what would need to change from the design of these suits to go from a suit that's walking on the moon to a, soon, a suit that's walking on Mars. Yeah, fundamentally there's a lot of um, the technology that's in these suits that will help us go to Mars. Um, in terms, Particularly in terms of what do we need to do with these suits and how do the crews interact with them. There are some challenges at Mars that we're going to have to figure out. Mars has an atmosphere. It's a CO2, a, a low pressure CO2 primarily atmosphere. So our CO2 system that dumps CO2 into the atmosphere doesn't have vacuum associated. So we have to figure out how do you get rid of that CO2? Our current system won't work exactly the same way. Maybe a variant of the system will work. Uh, we have to start thinking about that. The cooling system will work differently um, with an atmosphere. Um, we have Our cooling system um, depends on us evaporating water into vacuum, and there's no vacuum there, so the water, so it won't be as efficient. So we'll have to find ways to make these systems a little more efficient. Um, the thermal environment is likely to be different with that atmosphere. Um, I don't know whether it's better or worse yet, um, but our teams will have to go figure out what are the changes in the new environment. I think we're going to learn a lot by building a suit that's going to be directly applicable to Mars. And then very quickly, as soon as we get past the, the design for the lunar phase, we'll start thinking about um, ways to test and develop those new systems. So we'll be ready when uh, when we're ready to go to Mars. We'll have a suit that's ready that can do it. Wonderful. This is an incredible time. Chris Hansen, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and Excellent. talking about these suits for Artemis. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you learned a lot about these Artemis Generation spacesuits and are looking forward to actually seeing them in action until uh, they're used to go to and from the moon and on the surface of the moon. If you love podcasts, we got a great website for that, nasa.gov slash podcasts. If you want to know more about the Artemis program and all there is to it, just besides the spacesuits, nasa.gov slash Artemis. Uh, we also have mo more on the nasa.gov slash moon to Mars uh, page of nasa.gov. And then if you like spacesuits, nasa.gov slash suitup. You can check out some of the featured articles that explains the suits a little more there. And if you're a provider for the lunar suit, the XEMU, there's an RFI or request for information to help refine and mature the acquisition strategy for production and services for lunar spacesuits that you can fill out and give feedback to NASA. Otherwise, you can see what else we're doing at Houston. We have a podcast and the Johnson Space Center at our accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. Just make sure to mention it's for Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on October 30th, 2019. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, and to Lisa Salazar and Stephanie Sipola for helping to bring this all together. Thanks again to Chris Hansen for taking the time to come on the show. We'll be back next week.